Dad, I met Michael when he was four, four years old. And uh, I felt like I should have be sitting at his feet at four years old. He, uh, he had a love for the Lord early in his life. And he had, of course, he has wonderful, wonderful parents. His dad was one of my best ever, best friends. And uh, so this is a real treat to be here. By the way, I've been watching you. Kind of not stalking you, but watching you. <laughs> In fact, I came to one of your services at the other building uh, a few years ago, and then I came here in the spring, and, and uh, it's so exciting to see what you're doing and, uh, and to see how the Lord is directing your paths. And, and I guess more exciting is you're listening to Him. Amen. And I, I heard something one time that, that made a lot of sense to me. I travel now as publisher of GC2 Press, uh, and by the way, Michael was being very modest. He has written for us a couple of times, so uh, uh, we love him at GC2 Press. But let me, let me just tell you, we are the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and so greetings from Texas Baptist. But I heard something, and because I travel for the convention uh, all year long, I see things. And one thing about churches that I've seen is churches will always do what's necessary. And, and most of the time, they're always going to do what's possible. But what separates the average church from a special, special church is the churches that go to the next step and do the impossible. And the impossible only happens when God's involved. Amen. And so I've been watching you and you're doing, you're, you're on the brink of some impossible things and it's going to be so much fun to watch you and how God takes your church, takes your body of believers and, and makes it a very special, special place. You know, God wants to impact not just a hundred people or a thousand people. He wants to impact thousands of people for, for him and he wants you to do it and I'm just going to say right now you're, you're off to an incredible start and I'll be praying for you and telling all my Texas Baptist friends about you Luke 137 says this for nothing is impossible with God nothing is impossible with God Churches, for the most part, are too logical. Uh, the dream is gone. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Everything God has done has been dramatic, spectacular. To accomplish this, God has used people who have had his heart, Moses, David, Noah, Abraham, Joshua, and on and on and on and on. Today I want to give you 10 things on how to accomplish Mission Impossible. 10 things, and you're thinking, okay, Billups, the Cowboys kick off at noon. I may, may be done by then. Uh, 10 things, 10 things, and so don't be scared of the number 10, because some of them are real quick. Number one, you must develop the impossible. You must develop the mindset of the impossible. Begin to think with the mentality 
of the impossible. See, God gets the glory when the impossible happens. Our natural inclination in church work is to keep the status status in the quote, quote. That's dull. Develop the impossible. Number two, dream the impossible. Here's a great story in the Bible. We find it in Luke uh, 18. Uh, and if you, uh, whether you have your device or whether you have your uh, Bible, uh, and by the way, I, I love the Word of God no matter how it comes. And most of the time, I am flipping on my iPhone right now because uh, I like to see all the, different, uh, all the different translations while I'm reading the Scripture. But here it is, Luke 18, 35-43. This is an incredible story about a blind man. And I want you to read along with me. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Now, he probably didn't say it like that. Here's a blind man who's had one dream in his whole life, and that's to see. His friends have told him about sunsets and sunrises. His friends have told him about how he looks and how they look. He's heard these stories all his life. And he knew he had his opportunity because he'd heard the stories. And so my guess is he started yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Times 10 on the volume. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now, let's, let's face it. The Chamber of Commerce, the Visitors Bureau, whoever was excited Jesus was coming through. The stores, the stores were open. People were excited. Man, this was, this was a parade. They didn't want the embarrassment. But what did Bart do here? He started shouting all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said to him, oh, and he said, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, I love this, receive your, your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. Oh my goodness. We must dream the impossible. You ever wonder why game shows are so popular? I haven't watched this show in years, but there was a time that I watched Wheel of Fortune. You, you might could say I was a wheel watcher. I won more washer-dryers cars, fabulous vacations, sitting in my living room. I always wondered how difficult it would be being in front of a live audience and trying to think of those answers. But the reason we're so drawn to shows like that is because they have happy endings most of the time. Somebody's, we live our, we live our lives through other people who win these great prizes. Same thing with Hallmark Christmas movies. 
Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in here, but honestly, after I watched the first 10 Hallmark Christmas movies, I pretty well had the rest down. You, you see what I'm saying? But they're so popular because they always end with a happy ending. We dream the impossible, and a lot of times we dream it through other people. Blind Bartimaeus saw his opportunity and received his sight. Number three, listen to the impossible. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. How hard is it today to be still? How hard is it to be still and just know that he is God? Take time during each week, quiet time, whenever it is, and just be still and hear God. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen to what God has for us. Number four, create the impossible. A good example is in Judges 7. If you want to jump over there and see the story of Gideon, it is incredible. Here's Gideon with, with an army of 32,000 soldiers. And in chapter 7, God whittles that down to 300 soldiers. And they won. They won. Now, do you think Gideon got the glory for sending all his soldiers home and leaving 300? God got the glory. God got the glory. Hey, you may, as a church, you're on the brink of doing some impossible things. Just wait till you see that on a regular basis and you're just constantly giving God the glory. You probably, they're probably already happening. You may just not be noticing that the impossible is happening. You got to create the impossible. You got to make it to where God and God alone is the only one that can pull it off. Right. Number five, obey the impossible. Can you imagine Noah when God said, build an ark? What's an ark? It's going to rain. I'm going to flood the earth. What's rain? What's flood? Can you imagine the faith it took to build a 500 and something foot boat? And then wondering how two of each animal was, was going to walk on that thing? How many of you have been to the Ark uh, exhibit up in Kentucky? Oh, was that fabulous or what? You, you walk onto that thing and you're going, wow, I get it. I get it. Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Abraham. What faith it took. God said, whoa, wait. You don't have to after all. Joshua, God, how many times do you want us to walk around this wall? And do what? It took faith. But they obeyed the impossible and the impossible happened. Okay, that's number five. We're halfway through. We're doing good, right? Number six, share the impossible. When God gives you direction, when he gives you a vision, share it. Share it with somebody who will pray with you about that. Share it with somebody who will encourage you about that. Remember, God wants to affect thousands of people just through you. Share it. 
They'll either catch on or they were never with you to begin with. Share your vision. We all worry about how we, you know, there are those times we look stupid in public, right? I got over that a long time ago because I was really good at it. When God tells you to do something totally impossible, incredible, do it and do it happily. Don't worry about what people think. Only worry about what God thinks. Number seven, pray the impossible. Elijah, take this waterlogged altar. That's what he said to God. He said, he, he said God, take this waterlogged altar and set it on fire. Show them who you are. And he did. The great Welch revival, one of the great worldwide revivals, you know how it started? It was a cottage prayer meeting in a farmhouse up on a hill overlooking a little town. They prayed around the circle a few times and they were kind of bored. You know, a lot of times when we pray around the circle a few times and get bored, we kind of go for refreshments at that time. They didn't. They said, let's, let's do this again. And they began to really pray. God, your word says if we believe, then you'll do it. Do it, God. Show us who you say you are. They began to pray in that manner, and around 2 a.m. in the morning, the building shook. The ground rumbled, just like in Acts. And when they finished, they looked down at the town, and lights were coming on in the town, and people were walking up the hill to that farmhouse to get saved. That's how the great Welch revival started. Our father has a flair for the dramatic. The Red Sea, manna. Why should it be any different today? Number eight, this may be the toughest one. We've got to pay the impossible. David was a, a freshman in high school when he took on Goliath. But David stood on God's word. Today, I, there are too many people that just settle for the norm. I don't know if y'all have looked around or not and seen the world the way it is right now and our country the way it is right now. If this is the norm, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We can't settle for the norm. We can only settle for what God can do. We must pay the impossible. Here's, a, here's the record of a, a politician you probably know. At 22 years of age, he failed in business. At 23, he ran for the legislature and he was defeated. At 24, he again failed in business. And at 25, he was elected to the legislature. And then at age 26, his sweetheart died. At age 27, he had an emotional breakdown. At age 29, he was defeated for speaker. At age 31, he was defeated for elector. At age 34, he was defeated for Congress. And then at age 37, he was elected to Congress. And then at age 39, he was defeated again for Congress. At age 46, he was defeated for the Senate. At age 47, he was defeated for vice president. At age 49, he was once again defeated for Senate. And at age 51, he was elected president 
of the United States. That's the record of that loser, Abraham Lincoln. He paid, he paid for the impossible. What happens when you get knocked back? Come on, you just keep coming. When a door closes, find another door. Find a window. I'd rather believe God for too much than too little. One fear I have is one day dying and, and getting to heaven and the Lord saying, Bob, what, what happened? I had so much for you. What happened? I don't want that. Number nine, we must believe the impossible. The centurion, please, Lord, my servant is dying. Just say the word. You don't even have to come. The man wasn't even a Jew, but he believed. One of the best definitions of faith I've ever heard is, is stepping out on the thin air, in the thin air and believing that God will provide firm ground or wings to fly. We must believe the impossible. And another good reason to believe the impossible is we're special. You're special. Did you know you're special? I learned that the hard way. I mean, I knew it, kind of. But when, when I had my first son in 1982, and in 84, 85, somewhere along there, he's two or three years old, I'm leaving for work, heading out the door, down in Kingwood, Texas. I was a youth minister at Kingwood First Baptist Church and loved my job and couldn't wait to get there every day. And his favorite show was coming on, and he wanted me to watch it with him. Well, I knew a little about his favorite show, and I, I really didn't want to watch it with him. And then my wife got involved. And she said, Bob, come on. He wants you to watch it so bad. And, and he's sitting there going, please, Daddy, please, Daddy, please. Well, what's a guy to do? So I sat down on the floor cross-legged. It may have been the last time I've ever sat on the floor cross-legged. but And the show comes on. And I wasn't a fan of this guy. I mean, honestly, I just didn't want to be there. I mean, what does it say about a guy who's walking in his house, he's been out walking down the street in his dress shoes and his sport jacket, and he's walking in putting on his sweater and his tennis shoes. Does that make any sense at all? And he's singing this song. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighbor, would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a lovely day in this beauty wood. A lovely day in this beauty, would you be mine? Would you be mine? And my, my son is swaying back and forth, you know? And, and, and he's looking at me going, come on, Dad, get with it, you know? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. While we're together, why don't we say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And you think he's done. He's singing off pitch, too, worse than me. 
Oh, won't you be? Please, won't you be? Oh, won't you be my neighbor? And then he looks at us and goes, Hi, neighbor. And my son looks back and says, Hi, Mr. Wadges. And looks at me. Hello. He said, This is where things changed for me. He looked at us and said, Our word today is special. Can you say special? And my, my son said, Special. I went, Special. And Mr. Rogers at that time looked at me and he said, Ooh, I knew you could. <laughs> Felt pretty good right then. <laughs> Mr. Rogers was proud of me. Now, that took a lot because I grew up a Captain Kangaroo guy. It was hard for me to acknowledge another children's show guy. But Mr. Rogers taught me about why he was so successful. And by the way, every morning from then on, I watched Mr. Rogers with my son. He taught us about being special. Well, guess what? We're already special because of what Jesus Christ did for us. There's no more special than what Jesus did when he came to earth and died for us and made a place for us in heaven. That is special. We must believe the impossible because we're special. Finally, number 10, do the impossible. When it all comes down to it, we got to step out. we got to do the impossible. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 48, it's the story of David and Goliath. And here's David, a scrawny little freshman in high school with a slingshot, taking on a nine-foot giant, a great warrior. Here's the kicker. Verse 41 says this, and I was an adult before I noticed this verse. It's the coolest thing about God's Word. We keep studying it. We keep noticing things. Verse 41 says, and he had a shield bearer in front of him. Goliath had someone carrying his shield. It was two against one. How many pictures in the books do you see of a shield bearer in front of Goliath? Or posters on the wall? It was two against one. But yet in verse 48... It says that David ran toward the battle line to meet him. Think about that. He ran toward the battle line. First man to climb Mount Everest, an English man by the name of Sir Edmund Hillary. The last 300 feet, he went into some clouds and he was not seen again. And the papers the next morning reported Hillary last seen reaching for peak. Man, wouldn't you love for them to say that about you? Last seen reaching for the peak. You see, the Lord is looking for people to run toward the battle line, believing the impossible. Then the impossible happens. Luke one thirty seven. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray together. Father, I can already sense you have your hand on this church, which means you have your hand on these people. I pray, Father, that they'll continue to do what's necessary and do what's possible. But Lord, I thank you for the fact they're ready to do the impossible and have already done it in several areas. And so, Lord, I lift this church up to you. I lift each person in this room that they would realize how special they are and believe that they can be part of the impossible. And Father, we know only you can make the impossible happen. We praise you for that and trust you in that. In Jesus' name we pray.